Will the congregation please open to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. Be picking up in Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Be finishing Mark, chapter 7, this afternoon. Mark, chapter 7, verses 31 through 37. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I come before thee, O Lord. I ask thee for thy help to proclaim thy word. We ask for help for all of us that thy spirit might speak to us. Help us to hear Help us to respond in praise and thankfulness. In lives of holiness, sanctification. Lord, we need thee. We ask for thy help. May thy word placed forth and proclaimed in this sermon be used for the good of thy people, for us all, that we might feast upon Christ, be helped to walk and to live for thee, Lord Jesus, our great triune God, our covenant Jehovah. We ask these things of thee. The Lord rebuke Satan from taking the word. Give us ears to hear hearts to feel and be affected by the truths of thy word. Bring comfort and strength to us, O God. Bring conviction and power to us, O God. And ultimately, that we would see thee, Lord, our blessed and sweet Savior, Jesus Christ, as precious to our souls, and that we would lean fully upon thee, O Holy Spirit, to live all of our days unto thy glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31, going through verse 37. Hear now the word of the Lord, Mark chapter 7, starting in verse 31. And again, departing from the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, He came unto the Sea of Galilee, through the midst of the coasts of Decapolis. And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal, they published it, and were beyond beyond measure astonished, saying, 
He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it. Amen. Dear congregation, today we shall conclude our exposition on the seventh chapter of Mark's gospel. But let us walk mindfully through this last portion, being careful how we hear God's word as Christ warns us, so that we might profit much and not rush through. Let us consider, dear congregation, why we are here today. Why are we here? Why are we listening to the word preached? We must ask ourselves what Christ asked the Jews concerning John the Baptist. What went ye out for to see? Dear congregation, what do we intend to see in this sermon? What do we intend to see in this preaching? Surely, we should go out looking for him whom our souls love, Christ the Lord, that we might come humbly before him, asking him that he might fill us with knowledge and with understanding of his word, and that we might pray him that he would deeply affect our hearts through his word by the power of his Holy Spirit. That we're not simply coming to sit and hear a TED talk, to hear a lecture, but to hear the word of God proclaimed wherein Christ has laid forth before us. Dear congregation, dear Christians, what we are doing right now, we are engaged on a supernatural errand. A supernatural errand. A miraculous errand. As we sit and hear the word preached, or as we stand and hear the word preached. Mm -hmm. This is a miraculous, supernatural thing that is taking place this very moment. The passage before us may seem in some parts strange, but it is full of instruction and of sweet displays of our Lord Jesus Christ. By way of introduction, let us notice that Christ was always about doing good, wasn't he? Preaching the gospel of the kingdom and showing mercy to sinful men. The gospel of Mark is a fast-paced book. It's one miracle, one teaching, one event after another, back to back to back. Mm-hmm. Read in one sitting, you barely have time to even comprehend all of it. Yeah. It's fast-paced. Because Christ's ministry was fast-paced. He was always about doing good, always about preaching the gospel, always about helping sinful men and showing them mercy. He never stayed in one place for very long, for he had much work to do while he was upon the earth. Other sheep, other sheep Christ had, and in many places, which he must also gather into his fold. We often see him saying, as we have seen in the Gospel of Mark, specifically chapter 1, verse 38, Let us go into the next towns, that I may preach there also. For therefore came I forth. Therefore, no sooner had he finished doing good to the Syrophoenician woman, as we saw last week, and to her daughter, then he must be off off to do good elsewhere. Mm. Let us always look for ways also of being active and working for God, constantly working for God. 
always looking for opportunities. Leaving the coasts of Tyre and Sidon, he came unto the Sea of Galilee. And this is where we read, they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment of his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. Notice also, by way of introduction, the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ. He sought not his own glory. As he said in another place, John ten fifty, I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh it. Christ took the man aside, we read, from the rest of the multitude. And having done the miracle in private, he then, taking the man, rejoins the group and charged both he and his friends that they should tell no man. What are we seeing take place here? This is a demonstration of the humility of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't come to draw attention to himself. He came not to be glorified himself, but that his father would be glorified. That his father would be glorified. For it was to accomplish the father's redemptive will that he came in the first place. Let this teach us, dear congregation, that following in Christ's footsteps, that we should never seek our own glory or honor. We should never seek our own glory and honor. We should never publish abroad the good that we do. If we are to receive praise for our work, let us be praise of another. But let us ensure, according to 1 Corinthians 10.31, that we are doing all of it for the glory of God. A work is best done for God, dear congregation, when it is done with no regard given whatsoever to the vain praises of men. To the vain praises of men. Let us not take the best seats when we walk into a room, as Christ teaches us. Let us not let our left hand know what our right hand is even doing as we serve the Lord and do much good for him. Let us not sound a trumpet every time we labor for Jesus Christ, for the good of God and men. Humility, dear congregation, is the best adornment of the Christian. Humility is the best adornment of the Christian. God takes humble men, dear congregation, as his closest acquaintances. God takes humble men as his closest acquaintances. As Thomas Watson said, quote, a humble sinner is better than a proud angel. End quote. Mm. What did he mean by that? Well, God will lovingly own a humble sinner. He will lovingly own a humble sinner. But even the most beautiful angel, if, if pride be found in him, shall be cast into what? Shameful oblivion. So it's better to be a humble sinner than a proud angel. Let us therefore imitate Christ in doing all things in God's sight for his glory and not in the sight of men for our own glory, dear congregation. That's by way of introduction. In the passage before us, let's consider three points. First, God uses diverse means. God uses diverse means. Second, Christ makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Third, Christ is magnified and glorified in works of grace. Christ is magnified and glorified in works of grace. First, God uses diverse means in working redemption. 
No doubt in the Gospels, we sometimes, like in the case before us, come across strange accounts of Christ's miracles. Often, we see Christ healing with a mere word. He simply speaks a word, and the miracle takes place, even if he's miles away, as we have seen. Sometimes he works through strange means, though, doesn't he? Odd events take place. The making of mud and placing it upon someone's ears or mouth or eyes. The washing of a pool. The spinning upon the tongue or ears of the afflicted. And sometimes he heals in parts. Like the man who at Christ's first touch, the blind man, had his sight restored only in part, and then at the second touch in full. What is taking place here? These seem strange. Well, let us learn from these that God works how and when he pleases, dear congregation. God works how and when he pleases, and he may use any means he desires to accomplish his work. He may use any means that he desires to accomplish his work. Surely, Christ could have come to this man, or when the man was brought to him, could have healed him instantly with only a touch, with just a bare word. Be thou clean. We've seen it. With just a bare word, he could have healed him. We have seen him do this many times. A simple touch of his garment could have restored the man. Christ's shadow cast upon the man as he walked by could have opened up his ears and loosed his tongue. But Jesus, in this place, chooses to put his fingers into his ears and having spit upon his fingers, touch the tongue of the man spit upon his fingers and place the spit upon the tongue of the man. It's strange. Now, the reason is not recorded for us in Holy Scripture. The reason why he chose to use these means is not recorded. But we must believe that Christ chose to work in a way, and in this way, for his own wise purposes and to most glorify God. Though we are not certain of the reason that Jesus performed the miracle in this way, specifically, we can be certain that the placing of his finger into the man's ears and the putting of his spit upon the man's tongue had in themselves no healing value. I think we can safely conclude that. No physician, as far as I'm aware, maybe I can ask some of the people that are aware of these things in the congregation, has yet found the cleaning of the ear canal to be a cure for deafness, nor the placing of spit upon the tongue to resolve muteness. I don't think that has been discovered. Jesus is the divine physician, dear congregation, not a witch doctor. Therefore, the means used had no healing power in themselves, nor were they done as some witch's spell. Rather, they had another purpose. They had another purpose. First, the actions of Jesus in this miracle demonstrate that God can use different and peculiar means in accomplishing his gracious works toward men. Christ, dear congregation, is not tied to the use of any one means in doing his work among men. He's not tied down to just using one way of working out salvation for people. Sometimes he sees it fit to work in one way, and sometimes in another. This is not only plainly demonstrated throughout all of Holy Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, 
but is also the testimony of church history, isn't it? And it's the observation which we can plainly make in our own lives and in the lives of those around us, that God does not always work by the same means in accomplishing salvation. In Scripture, history, and our individual lives, we see continual proof that the Lord Jesus is not exclusively tied to the use of any one means in his gracious salvation of souls. And that's good. Sometimes he is pleased to work by the word preached publicly, whether that's on a street corner, at some tent revival, in a church, on the Lord's Day, midweek service. Sometimes he's pleased to use the word proclaimed and preached publicly to convert sinners. Sometimes it's by the word read in private. Sometimes God awakens people by sicknesses and afflictions. At other times, by the rebukes and the counsels of close friends. Sometimes God uses the means of grace to turn people out of the way of sin and unto salvation. At other times, he captures their attention by some act of providence, car crash, friend dying. God will not have any of his means, though, dear congregation, made an idol or exalted to the detriment of others. Hence, we must not exalt, as Christians, one evangelistic method, one apologetic means above the rest. Thinking that it's somehow the exclusive way in which God must work. Sometimes he works through somebody presenting evidence of creationism, philosophical reasoning, the preaching of the word, presuppositionalism. None of them can be exalted as the one means God must use and is bound to over the others. Hence, we must not exalt any ourselves. Salvation does not belong to us or to our methods, dear congregation. But salvation is of Jehovah. Jehovah. Christ will not have any of his means by which he uses to save and redeem and call sinners despised as some useless thing. Or neglected as of no value. All the means which God chooses to employ are good and valuable. And all are employed for the same great end, namely the conversion of souls. The conversion of souls. All the means which God uses are in his hands. And those hands are the hands of him who giveth no account of his matters. He doesn't have to answer to us why he does what he does. And God knows best which methods, which means to use in each separate and particular case. Any means can be used by God to accomplish his purposes, who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, Ephesians 1.11. Secondly, let us learn, regardless of the means that God chooses to employ, they all serve to demonstrate his power and glory. Christ not only placed his fingers in the man's ears and touched his spit to the man's tongue, But we read in verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened by this. He demonstrated 
that it was not the means employed, dear congregation, to which we should look, but to the power of God working through the means that we should look. We should look through the means that God uses, the methods God uses, to the power of God himself in and through them. Jesus looked to his Father in heaven to give his Father the praise for what he did. Jesus, as we know, came to do his Father's will. And as the one mediator between God and men, Jesus always acted in dependence upon his Father. And with his eyes continually fastened upon him to show us that as the mediator between God and men, Jesus is the conduit through which God's redemptive power is communicated unto us. Through which God's redemptive power is communicated unto us. And also, this is done, is lifting up of his eyes to heaven to teach us that we too must have our eyes set upon God in order to successfully live the Christian life and to effectually labor for his crown and covenant. Dear congregation, God loves to use weak and despised and unexpected means to demonstrate his power. That's the clear testimony over and over in Scripture itself. The means which bring man most low, dear congregation, the means which bring man most low and God most high are the means where we find God most active. Those things that bring man most low, God most high, are the means in which we will find God most active. In 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29, the Apostle Paul writes, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and all things which are not to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. What more foolish, what more foolish, what more lowly, what more base than healing being wrought through a touch and some spit? What more foolish than salvation through a crucified God? Yea, indeed, yet the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. Mm -hmm. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We see that in chapter 1, verse 18 of 1 Corinthians The gospel, dear congregation, has never, ever been honored by its being mixed with man's wisdom or man's power. Gospel power in the conversion of souls and in our own lives as Christians requires what? Gospel methods. Gospel power requires gospel methods. Though God may use any means that he chooseth, as we just laid out, and may work in spite of man's methods, though he may strike a straight blow with a crooked stick, yet, knowing that whatever means God chooses to use, his divine power is demonstrated in them to the humbling of man, we ought therefore to be mindful, dear congregation, that we employ those methods and means that most glorify God's singular power. If we know that no matter what the means is, that it is God's power working in it, we ought to then make sure we use those methods, those models, those means, which most glorify God 
already. We must not hinder the gospel by cumbering it with worldly methodologies, attempting to make it relevant. If I had a dollar for every time I heard that in different ministries I've worked with, I wouldn't need to take a salary. We don't need to make the gospel relevant. We don't need to ape the culture. We don't need to put goatish clothing upon sheep's bodies, dear congregation. To do so is to dishonor the power of God and the gospel. When the Apostle Paul recalled the gospel that he had preached to the Corinthians, he said this in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians, When I came to you, he says, I came not with excellency of speech and wisdom. I determined not to know anything among you, save or except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith, that meaning so that, so that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of of God. Amen. God may use any means he chooses. And those means which he chooses to use will often be various and distinct. But always most fitting for the particular case. And they will always glorify God rather than man. Lifting our eyes to heaven. They'll be used to lift our eyes to heaven that we might glory in nothing save God alone. All of God's works, dear congregation, regardless of how he does them, are voxa totheo and soli deo gloria. To God alone be the glory. They're all done to glorify God alone. God has chosen to magnify his justice, dear congregation, in damning unbelieving sinners to eternal hell and to glorify his justice and mercy in the salvation of believers by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice in and glorify him through any and every means that he chooses to accomplish his redemptive work to which we are privy. Second, Christ makes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. There's always, dear congregation, great instruction for us in the miracles of Jesus as we've had the honor and the pleasure of going through. But we must go deeper. We must go deeper than the mere surface level of a physical healing. That's not all to be mined from this ore. We must see it in its spiritual significance. The body's parallel in the soul. It is a great miracle for God to heal the body of its deafness and of its muteness. But it is a greater miracle for God to heal a soul of its spiritual deafness and its spiritual muteness. Whether this man was born deaf and mute, or whether it was through some accident or some disease that he lost his hearing... His tongue and his mouth were mangled and he was unable to speak anymore. Whichever of the two, it's of little concern to us. 
Whatever was the historical cause of this man's deafness and muteness, its ultimate cause is laid up in the purposes of God. Its ultimate ultimate cause is laid up in the purposes of God. As Jehovah said unto the tongue-tied Moses in Exodus 4.11, Who hath made man's mouth? Or Or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seeing? Or the blind, have not I, Jehovah? He who made the ear, dear congregation, is able to remake the ear. Mm. God had, or Jesus had handcrafted this man's ears and this man's tongue in his mother's womb. And even now he can, by his divine power, craft them again anew. So too in salvation, God not only creates the body of men. But he also creates the soul which he places into the body. And he who causes the man's body to be born can also cause the man's soul to be born again. And if that man is not born again but remains in his sinful state, he cannot see the kingdom of God, Jesus says in John 3:3. 3, 3. There are no deaf or dumb souls in heaven, dear congregation. All see, all hear, and all speak in heaven. Many people today are still born deaf and mute, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Many people today are still deaf and mute. We who have the faculties of our hearing and our speech and full health ought to thank God. Ought to thank God. For we are able to hear God's word preached. We are able to employ our tongues to his praise. And his gospel's proclamation. Indeed, dear congregation, many thousands walk this planet right now with their ears closed up and their tongues tied. Yet, how much better it is, dear congregation, to be physically deaf, to be physically unable to speak, yet to have the ears of the soul open to hear God's word and the soul's tongue loosed to pray to him and to praise him. All men are by nature born dead in sins and transgressions. They're born rebels against God, blind to his truths, deaf to his word, with tongues tied in bands of rebellion against his praise and his honor. But Christ, Christ is able to open the sinner's deaf ears and to loose the rebel's mute tongue, isn't he? He certainly has in this room. Mm -hmm. By his sovereign power, In regeneration, Jesus causes the sinner to delight in hearing the gospel that he once despised and ridiculed. He can cause the tongue that once railed against him, railed against him, speaking only blasphemies, their mouths, as Paul says, being no better than opened graves. He can cause those blasphemous tongues to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the salvation and to pour forth his praises. Only God can do that. Only Christ can do that. The Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, who at one time was only breathing out, the text says, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, using his rebellious tongue to blaspheme and persecute the Lord Jesus Christ, was brought to pray in humble dependence upon him, unto salvation. 
with that same tongue. The ear of Christ, which had till now only heard blasphemies from Paul's tongue, was now turned to hear the lispings of faith pouring out of the same mouth. For the angel that was sent from God went to Ananias, who was sent to minister to the newly converted Paul. And the angel said, Behold, he prayeth. Behold, he prayeth. He once blasphemed, but now he prayeth. Outside of the power of Christ Jesus, all sinners would remain deaf to his word, would remain unable to respond with the tongue in prayer and praise, wouldn't they? But Christ makes even the chief of sinners to hear. Even the chief of sinners to hear. And even the vilest of blasphemers to sing his praises. I know I was one. No man can or would choose, dear congregation, to respond to the word of the gospel. No matter how clearly or loudly it may be proclaimed to him. Outside of the work of Christ upon the soul, the only response a sinner can have to the preached gospel of divine love and mercy is to hear it as loathsome foolishness and to rail against it with his mouth. That's it. That's all he can do. It's important that we think of this, God's sovereign work of salvation in this miracle before us. Your congregation, no one has ever been able to bear the preaching of the gospel. Ever. They either be converted or they will turn against it. Mm. They will war against it. They will hate it. They will loathe it. And they will seek to destroy it. Christian, were not your ears once deaf Mm -hmm. to his gospel? Was not your tongue spiritually dumb, Mm. unable to pray, unable to praise him at some point? How then did you come to this new existence that you inhabit of praying and praising and hearing? Were the fingers of worldly methods shoved into your ears, opening up free wills, hearing? Was the spit of man's persuasive wisdom placed upon your, upon your tongue, convincing you that it might be a better idea to use your mouth and tongue to praise God rather than blaspheme him. Is that what happened? No, not at all. God forbid that we should ever think so foolishly as that. Mm. Rather, dear congregation, just as this man was taken aside, we read in the text, he was taken aside, was chosen, was elected to be a recipient of God's grace in Christ, so too we were by sovereign and free mercy taken apart by Christ before the foundation of the world that without any labor of our own or others, God might freely pour his grace upon us. Our spiritual ears were opened and our spiritual tongues were loosed by free, sovereign, and divine mercy. Amen. We read, God hath chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him having predestinated us unto the adoption of children through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his own will. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace. The only reason, dear congregation, the only reason, dear Christian, that we have used our tongues to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved was because Christ himself loosed our tongues by his own free, sovereign will and love. Amen. What praise we owe to him then with those tongues. Mm. What praise we owe to him. How diligently we should listen. How carefully we should listen to his word. Are you listening carefully now? Are you listening carefully in the mornings? When you open your Bible? We must. Notice also that it was through the word of Christ that this man was healed. The word of Christ. Not the means themselves. As we pointed out earlier. It was not until Christ looked up to heaven and said, be opened. It wasn't until that point that the man's ears were opened and his tongue loosed. So too for us, dear Christians. It was not until God came to us in his free mercy and said, be opened, Mm. that our spiritual ears were able to hear God's word. Not until he had spoken that we were saved. As Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Not until he speaks. Dear congregation, if we preach the gospel, if we use various means and methods to evangelize the lost, but we do not earnestly ask that Jesus would apply the gospel through the Holy Spirit, that he would speak his own be opened in, with, and through the word preached, then we have only placed the fingers into the ears and spit upon the tongue. Mm. The reason that Paul had confidence in the salvation of the Christians in Thessaloniki, that they had been elected by God, taken aside from the rest of the unregenerate multitudes, was because the gospel that he preached, he writes in 1 Thessalonians 1.5, came unto them in not came not unto them in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. The Thessalonians received the word of God, which Paul had preached unto them, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. That's 2.13. It is the present. It is the present activity of the Holy Spirit working in, with, and through the preached word that makes it effectual. I'll say that one more time because it's key. It is the present activity of the Holy Spirit working in, with, and through the preached word that makes it effectual. If we labor to bring the gospel to the lost, if we set up evangelistic opportunities and keep an eye out for them, ask that God would open doors, we labor to bring the gospel to the lost, but we do not labor in equal measure in prayer that Christ would add his be opened in their souls, To the word which we speak in their ears, we shall have no success. Mm. We shall have no success. There will be no effectual working in the lost unto salvation, but only our words falling on deaf ears. Now to take away from this comfort and assurance as Christians, let's see that this gives us the fact that Christ is the one that opens the deaf ears and looses the bound tongue, gives us assurance in two different ways. Gives us comfort in two different ways. First, knowing that it is Christ 
who heals the spiritually deaf and dumb, is a comfort and an assurance to us in our evangelism. In our evangelism. Because we know that the salvation of sinners, dear congregation, does not depend on us. It does not depend on us, but rather upon the power of God. I could throw up right now thinking about some of the things I had to endure in ministries and in churches where the power of God was not relied upon, where the gospel and the word of God was not seen as sufficient. We can convert no one. You can't trick someone into conversion. Amen. Christ must make them new. Amen. Depends not on us, but on the power of God. Therefore, we take great comfort in evangelizing. We must speak the word. But only Christ, through the Holy Spirit, dear congregation, can make it powerful, can make it effectual. Only Christ. We are sent into the harvest, no doubt. No doubt. But we must pray the master of the harvest to make it fruitful. When we become discouraged, which I know many of us do, when we become discouraged, that all of our gospel efforts seem to continuously fall on deaf ears. Let us take comfort by remembering that it is Christ who causes the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Let us all the more earnestly then add prayers to our preaching when we're discouraged that it seems like all of our gospel preaching, all of our evangelism seems to just continue to fall on deaf ears. Let us add fervent prayers to our preaching, dear congregation. Dear Christian, you may have been unable, as of recent, or for a long time, to convince your family member of the truth of the gospel. Utterly unable to convince them so far. But take heart, because you never could, and you never can convince them of the gospel. You will never, ever convince that family member of the gospel. Only Christ can do this. And only Christ will do this. Therefore, pray that he would do so. While there is breath in the lungs of a sinner, dear congregation, Christ may yet take that man aside and speak his be opened unto him. A second means of comfort that we have, knowing that it's Christ alone that heals the deaf ears and looses the bound tongue, is that if he healed us, if he healed our ears, he loosed our tongues, then he actually did it. If he healed us, he healed us indeed. He healed us. And that we are healed. That he has done it. And it is done. If he has healed our ears, listen carefully, then he has healed our ears. If he has loosed our tongues, then Jesus has loosed our tongues. He really did. He really, really did. The work that he has done is therefore powerful and effectual. The ears that he has opened and the tongue that he has loosed shall remain opened and loosed. As Jesus said in John 10, 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish.
perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That means the work which Christ did, he did with divine power. The same divine power as the Father. Because Jesus is God. Mm. By his divine power, he has made us new creatures. By his divine power, he has healed us. By his divine power, he has opened our ears. By his divine power, he has loosed the bands of rebellion off of our tongues and caused us to be born again. And the good work, dear congregation, which Christ has begun in us, he shall bring to completion. I think it says that in the Bible. Philippians 1.6. Let us live to him then with all our might and gratitude. Because he did it. And it will never be undone. Third and last, Christ is magnified and glorified in works of grace. Christ is magnified and glorified in works of grace. Lastly, let us notice the effect which this miracle had upon the people present. Though Jesus charged them, tell no man, which was a demonstration of his humility, Yet we read in verses 36 and 37, The more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Christ. Christ is the sum and substance of the gospel, the source and subject of all glory. And in his demonstrations of mercy and salvation, Jesus Christ, dear congregation, is to be the object of all of our praise and honor. Not only in ourselves, but in others also. Not only for the work that he's done in us, but for the work he's done in others, we should respond. As him being the sole object of praise and honor. We love to read the biographies of Christians in the past. I've given many Sunday schools on different Christians from the past, their biographies. I know many of you read biographies of Christians from the past. We love to read them. We love to see how God brought them to salvation, how God worked grace in their lives and worked through them. So too, we love to hear the testimonies of our brothers and sisters in Christ, don't we? We love to hear about other people's conversions that we meet And we love to hear reports of the victories that Christ wins through their evangelistic efforts. When we hear of a sinner, though, dear congregation, when we hear of a sinner who has lived all of his days in sinful rebellion to God, has wasted all of his strength and all of his living on riotous and wicked living, but who had come to God in humble faith, casting himself upon the mercy of Christ, And who now has received the robe, the ring, the shoes, the embrace, and the kiss of gospel adoption unto God and Christ Jesus. How astonished we should be. Because that's our story too. How astonished, beyond measure. How can it be? How? How can a sinner be saved? How can God be so gracious to so vile a wretch? Dear congregation, 
It's by Christ alone. It's not just religion that is magnified when there's conversions. It's not a church or a ministry that is glorified, that is exalted, that is honored when there's a conversion, when there's a hand raised. Thank you, I see that hand. It's Christ in true conversion that is glorified, that is magnified, that is lifted up. Because it is Christ who does the work. It's impossible that a sinner could be saved. Absolutely impossible. There are no saved sinners unless it be by Christ. Amen. Let us never be ashamed of the gospel in light of that. No matter how wicked, no matter how hostile, no matter how hateful of Christianity we daily see our culture becoming. 2009, I could never believe where we are. Never. Mm. With Paul, we must say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. The world tempts us, and we see this daily. The world tempts us to be silent concerning, concerning Christ, to keep Christ and his gospel to ourselves. Currently, they're, they're a little bit permitting us, at least here in the United States. You guys can, okay, go back into your churches. Some places you still need to keep your masks on. So you can't be heard. Your tongue can't be heard singing unto God and praising his name. But keep it to yourselves. Keep it in the church. Other places you're not even allowed to do that. Silence, bigot. Don't you know that sex and gender are different things? How dare you quote Jesus' words? That in the beginning he made them male and female. How dare you say it's a sin For a man to lie with a man. For a woman to lie with a woman. For effeminacy to be accepted. That that's wrong. How dare you? Keep it to yourself. Or else we're going to lock you up. And they'll come to that. It's already happening. But the more they tell us to be silent. The more they tell us to be silent. Let us so much the more a great deal publish the name of Christ abroad. Amen? Amen. Every time we hear of a Christian's testimony, every time what God and Christ has done for them, every time we look at one another, when you look at each other, just with the eyes upon the face of your brother and your sister, the member of your church, every time you even look at them, we ought to be motivated to go out and proclaim to a lost and dying world. Behold, Christ hath done all things well. Look at my brother sitting there. Look at my sister sitting there. He, has, he hath done all things well. He maketh the deaf to hear and the blind to see and the dumb to speak. That should be the motivation. With John the Baptist, let us be a continual signpost, a continual extended finger pointing to Christ saying, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Mm. Let us be astonished. Greatly marvel at the works of God in Christ, dear congregation, whenever and wherever he chooses to work. We have great confidence, dear congregation, that the Christ who opened the ears and loosed the tongue of this man is still opening the ears and loosing the tongues of men today. The Lord is long-suffering towards his elect, we read in the Bible. Not willing that any of them should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 
2 Peter 3.9. And he has sent us, dear Christians, into the world as ambassadors, that we might plead with men in Christ's stead, saying, Be ye reconciled to God. 2 Corinthians 5.20. In closing, the only correct response to Christ's saving work, dear congregation, is to worship and praise him in astonished amazement and wonder that he has been so gracious to us and to others. And then, therefore, to go forth into all the world to tell all men that Christ doeth all things well, making the spiritually dead to rise unto life, the spiritually deaf to hear, the spiritually blind to see, the spiritually dumb to speak. Dear congregation, may everything to us be Christ. In our hearts, in our minds, upon our lips, Christ, Christ, Christ. Mm. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we again come unto thee. We ask for thy help to live out thy word, to not only hear it and be hearers of the word, but do it and be doers of the word. Amen. Lord, that we would love thee, love thy glorious and beautiful person, Lord Jesus. We would lean upon thy power, Holy Spirit. We would look to thee with the eyes of faith, O Father. We would trust what thou hast done for us, though we be wicked sinners. We pray for thy help to go out and publish this abroad to a dying and dead world. Mm. To trust thee and rest in the assurance that we have that thou shalt never, Lord Jesus, allow us to be plucked from thy hand. We love thee. We praise thee. We ask for thy help now for the rest of our day as we worship thee and serve thee this Lord's day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.